0: Episode eighteen of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and
1: Jason Roberts. How's it going, Justin? Hey, good. So <laughs> another week. Another let's, week. Uh, let's hear the update.
0: What's going on with TweetMiner? Um Well, since our discussion, since our discussion last week, uh, you really got me thinking about the um, implementing the whole payment subscription stuff. So oh, I have right. tried to work on it as best I could, but unfortunately, the day job. Got the better of me until last night when I started implementing it last night. So
1: haven't got too far with it, but. Uh, what uh, what prov- what payment system were you using? Uh, pay uh PayPal. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Joe looked into a, a variety of uh, different payment options, and uh, we went with PayPal for um, local bacon. It was it was the best, um, best priced option, I think. Oh really? And the and the API was easy. I mean, it was a nothing. So implement. The subscription thing's a little bit harder and
0: I've I mean I've just sort of noticed that there's gonna be a bug in my code because the way that I'd done it was I'd done it so that, you know, someone subscribed and it set a field in a table to, you know, set them up as a subscriber, they have that subscription. But then, you know, what it's it's not very graceful because it doesn't manage things like, well, if they want to upgrade their account, so you know, Mm -hmm. obviously that would require a couple of rows and managing it in a graceful way. So I've realized I'm going to have to go back to the the drawing board and start start updating it again.
1: Well, but it's it's good that you'd get, I think it's good that you attack these, the payment stuff early and you just get that figured out, you know, rather than like procrastinating about it for three or six months and then trying to fit it in later. Um, You just get it into the product, you get it into sort of like the, the flow of your code. The thing about the payment stuff is like, Making it, the the points
0: where you sort of hold up the hand to the user and say, no, you can't do this, you know, you require a subscription, like, you've got to be really careful about the messaging at those points, because you don't want to actually completely piss someone off that they think, well, what a load of rubbish this is. So you've got to sort of somehow have messaging that is, you know, upbeat messaging, um, doesn't make them feel like they've wasted their time investing in the free version.
1: You know, well, yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think that's another argument for doing it sooner rather than later. Because yeah. if you have people using your entire product feature set for six months or nine months or a year or something, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, you have to start paying. That's when you start really making people upset. But if you don't do that, and you have, and you early on you start charging, and you just say, so this is the free stuff, and this is the pay stuff, and you know.
0: Hey, listen. If you were gonna, if you were gonna build a subscription system, I'm <laughs> just gonna mm-hmm. get some free consultancy here. If you were gonna build a uh, subscription system, how would you architect the schema? What would you do? <laughs>
1: uh, okay, <laughs> just off the top uh, of your head, <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, would you just have? Uh... I don't know how to answer that question. I, you'd have to be a little more uh, specific. What you want me to say? I mean, I
0: okay, okay. Well, I guess what I'm saying is so
1: you'd have a user, and a user would say, "Let's okay." I'm just thinking off the top of my head. It's probably going to be sound stupid. So, let's say you have a table of users or subscribers or whatever, and yeah. they have you know what their account type is. Maybe you have an enumerated type or something. You know, like uh, you know, free or or, or what level. You know, paid user maybe it's level one or level two, like advanced, expert, that kind of stuff, right? Um, and uh, then you have like a, I guess, a billing frequency based on maybe maybe you have a billing frequency because maybe some people choose to pay once a year or whether some people pay used to pay once a month based on that.
0: Yeah, just, that's the part that I'm just sort of need a little bit of
1: yeah, think, so thinking about. So let's say that you have a billing frequency and the billing frequency is another field and that's just another enumerated type or something like that. Or, yeah. you know, maybe it's maybe it's just a Boolean field or it's Boolean and maybe it's, you know, only offer monthly or yearly. And then... Uh, I don't know. I mean, assume you bill everything on the same date and you just, um, you know, amortize it or whatever it is for people who, you know, their first month on. Um, but if you don't and you you don't have a set billing date, you bill them a month, 30 days or whatever it is from the first day they start, then you'd have to say what's their billing.
0: Date. I was, I mean, in terms of because th- there's going to be checks and balances. So as they're doing stuff, it's going to go and look at the subscription table and it's going to make it make a decision whether they've got a valid description or not. Basically, what I was thinking of doing was, at the point that PayPal verifies it and it gets inserted to the database, I would then look at the length that they just paid for, and then I'd basically set a timestamp at that date in the future, and then every checkup I would just check against that timestamp and see whether that, you know, the current timestamp was older than that timestamp, and that was the way I was going to do the sort of validation.
1: Well, that way you could do for the yearly. For the monthly, I like you know for most services that you do. Like, if you start halfway through the month or whatever, they only bill you for the half half the month. They amortize it. Right? Is that the, the, word? the word? I mean, the word is amortized. I, with, I,
0: why not just start they, at the date they built? You know,
1: just just. But I mean that way, that way you always have to, you have to always have like an offset date rather than like if you if you if everybody got built say on the fifteenth of the month, right? Then you know, then you have your cash flow coming on the same day, and you never have to worry about maybe figuring out when people are supposed to be billed later. That you just you just have the very first billing cycle. It's, um, but you know, pay- if they started a weekend or whatever, they'll pay for three quarters of the month. Or okay, as
0: far week. as I'm aware, that's not how PayPal subscription works. Basically, PayPal subscription works the date that they subscribe, it will then bill them a month from that date.
1: Oh, okay, well, yes. well, well it, then, it, it hey. just does
0: it, and it just pings your um. Pings your IPN, instant uh, payment notification. Well, so if that's
1: the way they do it, then yeah, might as well go with the grain. I was just thinking if you had to write the code, if the you know, the one I just described, probably less potential to have problems. But if that's the way there's work, then why not just do it? I mean,
0: presumably the same timestamp check could work for month as it would work for year,
1: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so you'd only need one one logic flow, really, whether it was whether it was yearly or monthly subscription.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, that sounds pretty straightforward. That sounds like a, you know,
0: I don't, I don't know whether this discussion's too tech though that for our
1: for our audience. But anyway, oh no, well, that's we're going to talking to tech people. I mean, the people listening to this are, I think for the most part are developers or people doing startups. Mostly, I'd I would be I would be surprised if the people listening to this, you know, aren't mostly coders. I'll tell you so. the
0: use case that's kind of confusing is when someone signs up for say a month or a year, right, and then they basically cancel. So, in other words, they're cancelling an ongoing repeat subscription. so that's going to ping your instant notification system, which is going to tell which is going to tell your table that the user's now cancelled right if you know if that's the way you've coded it but yet you still need them to have access to the system until the end of their current subscription so that's the that was the idea of bringing in the timestamp thing, which I didn't have before I just basically I just had the last uh, the last status that PayPal had indicated, but I realized, well, God, if if they cancel, then that's going to cancel their account, which is incorrect.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like this is like it's a good stuff to get sorted out now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not none of it's that hard. It's just you yeah. got to sit down and figure it out. But once it's done, it's done. Yeah. And you don't have to keep putting it off. Like, well. You know, I don't want to sit down and write all this charging code and set up accounts. We just get it out. It's a pain in the butt. It's done, and then you know, go get your get your get your system going. So how um how is the what's the user growth on your I mean, you are picking up like you know two percent growth a month, five percent, one percent. What? How many do you see people adding on?
0: Well, I mean, I, I guess I specifically, just I've really stood back from it because I, I, I haven't been trying to promote it. I haven't been trying to get any new users. So when, okay. I, when I really do try and get new users, then I can bring in, you know, 20 to 50 people a day. But when I mm-hmm. don't get involved in it, then it's more like one to 10 people a day for the yeah. moment. Um, but I'm thinking of um, basically setting up an affiliate system so that, you know, you Power users of the system can introduce other power users, and they can earn money. And I've just sort of split the revenue down the middle, really. That's, mm-hmm. I think that will deal, you know, with a big part of the marketing aspect. This is the kind of product that right. affiliate would work for, I think.
1: Right, right. It's kind of interesting. I um I just read an article last night or a blog post. A guy is titled "How to Become an Independent Programmer in Just a Thousand and Sixty Eight Days." The guy mm-hmm. did Voodoo which is sort of like a it's kind of like a little, app, uh, a, like a single-user wiki. For, yeah. Uh, it's an application, though. It's a, it's a Mac app, and I guess guy, these are built, I I built it in like 2003, and you know he's talking about how, how, how slowly at first it was like the first couple of years. I mean, it was just like, hey, if if I can get this thing to generate enough enough revenue so that I can buy this flat-screen TV I want, that would be awesome. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's always he's looking for, you know. And then, and then it's like he would set these little goals of like, you know, revenue goals or user goals or whatever they were. And, um, you know, I guess it was, you know, like I said, a few years, um, before he was able to go and work full time on it. Yeah. To, you know, it made enough where he said it was, it was a full time job. And, um, and, and that's just like the same thing with Miner right? right? I mean, you start out. Small, you got just very few users, you got very few, even fewer paid users. And so you don't have this expectation like, wow, this is just going to blow it out of the water. It's just, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. Hey, that's a couple hundred dollars I didn't have, you know. And then oh, it's, it's like, gonna,
0: it's going to be, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be a slow grow because, peop, you know, once again, monetizing Twitter related apps aren't easy. Um, I think it's all going to be about once I get the paid subscribers, then really focusing on building the features for those guys. Right. Because um, that, that's, you know, once again, that's something that Peldi told me um, in an email is, you know, once you get those paid subscribers, they're the guys you pay the attention, you know, the most attention to. And it really drives the direction of the product because it sort of brings laser focus to what the new features should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, because if everyone's if everyone's adding features, you know, they want the moon because it's just free. But once money's involved, then they start, you know, really thinking about what they want, and they sort of say, yeah, this is, I need you to make me this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah you make people prioritize what they really need. It's it's kind of funny. It's like when, um, you know, Joe and I work on a local bacon, right, and he'll email me, and he'll say, oh, we need we need, really need to add this feature. or really need to fix this, or we need to do this. And I'm like, all right, you know, if I do these two things, then the other one's not going to get done. What do you really care about, you yeah. know? So put them in order because, and you know, you you know, forces them to think about it. Now he a lot of times he's just emailing, and throwing this stuff out there for me to just you know to keep in mind. You know, like he hasn't necessarily prioritized it. But then when I say you know, you really got to think about what you want to do because this thing could take me a day or two, and which gets and those other stuffs gonna get done. And I think it's the same thing. You know, for for use of the features. I mean, you're, you're essentially instead of having one you know partner or client or whatever, you have you know hopefully thousands. <laughs> If yeah. You have to ask the the ones that have skin in the game or paying for it. What is it you really care about? You know, do you really want this or not? You know, or is this just kind of like whatever? Because if you do this, if I build feature A, feature B will not happen for three to six months. Yeah, you no, know, or something. And uh, I mean, not that you actually have that explicit conversation with them, but you know, um. Let Let me ask you
0: this. I, I've I've got a client who, uh, you know, one of my main just normal web clients, right? And I've been working on this project with him for about nine months. And I do four hours a day for him. Uh-huh. And he wants to build a website. I don't want to get too much into what it is, but it's... Um... <laughs> How can I... No, I am not. I don't need to get into what it is to, to ask you the question. So anyway, so I've been working on it nine months. So the first three months, uh, obviously it's only four hours a day, so, you, you know, not going super fast. But the first three months was spent very detailedly specking it out, right? Really, right. really specking it out, mocking it up in balsamic, like mocking out everything in balsamic, like all of the all of the site, all of the screens. Right. And now I've spent another six months, you know, nearly, basically, because this is the way he wants to do it. He he didn't want to do it where you build out one piece of functionality at a time. He wants to do it where, you know, every time we go to a level, if we, if we're doing the mockups, then he wants the whole site done in mockups. And yeah. then if we're doing the front end, he wants the whole site done in front end. So um, I'm just wondering what you think about that. You know, We're just now coming to the point where we're getting, I suppose we're about uh, two weeks, maybe three weeks away of finishing the front end. But we've been doing this thing for like five months, four hours a day, just front end, the entire site, every screen, every little thing. What do you think about that approach?
1: Well, first of all, I have to say that you know I'm obviously an unorthodox coder. Right, I don't, I don't necessarily do things where everybody else does it, but what I do works for me. And since I work alone, I can do whatever I want as long as it works for me. So when I when I give you my what I, my reaction, just keep that in mind, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I don't think what he's doing is orthodox. I've never heard of it before. Personally. Well, you know, I guess that kind closer to the waterfall method or something. You know, you, you. I do, guess it. Yeah. You know, huge requirements phase. You know and client you know whatever and then then you do a huge design phase and then you do huge, you know whatever i mean everything's just like this very big steps um, or, or big and iterations are, are you know can be months and months as opposed to days or weeks do you have but, a window um, open
0: or a fan near you there's some kind of air hitting your mic
1: yeah i'm sorry let me uh let me grab this turn it off. yeah so i one of the reasons that i don't like to do that you know i'll give you there's two, there's two things i'll say the first is is the reason that it's more personal, which is that would just bore the crap out of me, you know? Yeah, like, I have to I say. I <laughs> hate doing requirements analysis, and I hate writing up documents and drawing pictures. I'm just like, damn it, let's just do something. I hate the meta, all the meta work. The meta work kills me because it's boring. But well, what about
0: front end? What about just creating CSS and HTML for six months straight? How would you feel about that? The yeah, same site.
1: That's same thing. I... I you know, and that's probably like more personal to me. I mean, other people can make arguments of why you'd want to do that in some cases, but for me, I just it bores me. Maybe it's because I just want to write code because that's what I like to do is build stuff. And as soon as I build something that kind of does even something even if it's small, it feels real and there's like this sort of endorphin rush. Like yes, <laughs> that works, sweet. As opposed to like all of this sort of prep work where you don't really get an endorphin rush because there's nothing real yet. It's still just pictures or documents. So. And that's a lot of lines with why you know the old 37 signals get real approach, which is just that they try and get stuff down and working as soon as possible. And I agree with that from you know like I said from a personal standpoint, that's just the way. You know, so I so therefore I could rationalize doing that even if there you know might be reasons not to. But then the reasons to do it might be that okay you don't get enough information by drawing pictures about whether something's really gonna work or not, you know? And so you have to once you actually get something working, even if it's at like five or 10% of the functionality, you start to get a sense of like, oh wait, you know what? This isn't really, this doesn't feel quite how I want it to feel and it's not working right, so we gotta rethink the design.
0: With the HTML version, I mean, he, he can get that because it's all linked together and you know, it's all spoofed data. So it it sort of works like a real site. It's just that there's there's nothing except HTML and CSS.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's better than just drawing pictures just doing mock just if all you have are mockups, but it's kind of the whole thing like I think one thing you keep hearing people talk about on the web about startups and writing code and stuff is that the more information you can get, a uh, real information you can get, the more data you can get back sooner the better. So whether that's fail fast, you know, kind of thing or the minimum viable product or release early release often or you know, build prototypes or iterate all the agile development. All those are about getting as much real reliable data on what it is you're building so that you can learn from it and make better decisions in the next steps. And that's what 37 signal says is like, they don't like to think two, three months in advance. They're just trying to think, let's think the next feature. Let's just look very, what we can really understand, build that. And then we'll pick our heads up and, and figure out what the next best decision is. So from that standpoint, that's kind of how I, I I think about things. It's not that you should sketch things out what you ultimately want to do. You can have some conversations, sketch stuff out, but going into exhaustive detail, I don't have know. You, I don't have, think you have enough information. I think I think you have so little information. What is it you really want to be, build that you could end up designing the stuff, and you realize later? Shoot. Well, that's. I mean,
0: that, that's yeah. I mean, definitely. I I sort of think. Well, you know, okay, fine. You know, we've built out the whole site, but what's going to happen is we're going to start using it real users are going to use it and everything's going to change so all that front end that was built is all going to be different you know mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be thrown out so therefore it's almost like wasted time but the the other thing is um, that you know you know when you get like factory workers and they're just doing the same thing like someone's screwing a cap on a toothpaste on a, on a production yep. line right so you know there's been plenty of studies to show that people are much less motivated to just sit there screwing a cap on a, on a on a toothpaste than they would be to like build the entire thing yeah <laughs> or yeah, to, or well, yeah to, you or hear to that in positions but basically yeah. what I'm doing is basically I'm just screwing a cap on a toothpaste essentially I'm doing 4 hours of of this sort of same html css for every day and I have to say you know after 6 months I'm sort of at the point where it isn't my, it isn't my favorite 4 hours of each day if you if
1: you know what oh. I mean
0: because it's like You know, oh, it's more of that. Oh, God, oh, God. I can't
1: imagine. Well, you know, because you don't get a feeling of that success. So, like, let's say that you're, like, you know, building furniture. If you're a one-man show or you're in a shop and you build custom furniture, right? That could be a very satisfying, creative endeavor, right? You build some new really cool chair or some really cool new dresser or something, right? You designed it. You kind of prototyped it. You kind of built it out. You polished it, painted it, whatever. And you're, like, awesome, right? Awesome. But if all you're doing is making chair legs all day long, yeah. right, you don't really get that feeling of completion, that endorphin rush, which makes it enough satisfaction and all the psychological reasons of why that kind of process makes you feel um, happy is build, building the whole thing out. It's so, great for him though. He
0: gets an endorphin rush because every day he logs in and sees a new piece of the site come into existence.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, sh- <laughs> it's kind of a shimmer though, right? I mean it's kind of fake because yeah. – because really, what it is, is 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 you're increasing your risk because you put all this months because he's paying you for every hour that you're building the CSS and HTML. But the more that you build that stuff, and the less time that you actually have something functioning and have people using, experimenting, the the larger the chances that you're building the wrong thing and that stuff's going to get thrown out.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, that's really, increasing the risk. Yeah. That is you just yeah, you just you, it's
1: like it's like increasing your leverage every time you're doing that. You're just like putting more money down, put more money down, and it just might be the wrong thing. And the sooner you can get something out there and get people using it and feeling it, and and that means just like we're talking about the payments and get people using it and get find out if people are going to pay for it, right? Because you're building this because you want to create something that can create a revenue that people value enough that not only they use but they pay for it and that can make it worth your time. Hmm. So, getting your arms all the way around that problem. As soon as possible to get full information about the product and what you're doing. It's interesting. Yeah, thanks for yeah. that. Yeah, because I made the wrong thing choice. Like I've, I've mentioned before. It's like the reason I say this is because I did the opposite thing with Prezo. I worked on it for you know two years before releasing it. And it was because yeah. it was such a big damn problem. It was so hard. And we kept thinking, oh, I has to do all these things that PowerPoint does. And in the end, it was just – you just – Increasing your risk, How could increase... you do
0: something like Prezo incre- incrementally then? What would you what for example what would be the first thing that you would release?
1: Well, I think you just have to bite bite the bullet and say there's certain things that you're just not going to be able to do and it's it's not it's not going to be a PowerPoint replacement, it's going to be something else maybe. But I mean, would you that... release
0: it for example when you can just you can just create an account on Prezo and you can you can create a, a slide with some text and some basic shapes, but there's no menus would you release it on that level? Yeah,
1: and that's probably what you should have done, even if it's painful as it's been. Because, you know, you have this dream that I'm going to release this thing and the world is just going to go, wow, that's amazing. You're you're awesome, you know, right? Th- that's the dream in the back of your head that I'm going to build this thing and everyone's going to be uh, amazed, yeah. right? But um, that's, the you know, because that's why you don't want to release something early because everyone's going to go, that kind of sucks or who really cares, right? Because it's such a crappy feeling when you build something and everybody thinks it sucks so they can ignore it, right? You know? So you, you in order to avoid that pain and um you you put it off. <laughs> so I kept putting it off because I wanted to blow people out of the water and you know, there were some people who So were you wanted in the to prep. avoid the that sucks pain? That that what pain, I'm sorry? That sucks. Yeah. Like people people not being
0: blown away by it.
1: Yeah, I maybe mean, yeah, maybe they don't say it sucks, but they're just like, Yeah, it's kinda neat, but it kinda still sucks for the x y and z reasons and uh you know i I don't think i thought about it as much but i i I definitely think that was a psychological driver for that and you you, because you're always because you you you're there's that pain and then you rationalize and say well if people think that think it sucks or aren't impressed then they're not going to come back but i don't think that's the reality i think people check things out and if they don't like it they don't use it and then they forget about it and then they might come back to it later but they probably forgot all about even looking at it before it's not like they won't come back again if if you're if you keep keep in the game and you keep working on this thing and then three or six months later you release it and then people are like oh did I try this before oh this is kind of cool maybe I did you know they don't know yeah. people don't care enough you know it's the kind of thing where like no, people don't care they don't care you know everybody spends all this time worried especially like when you're younger and you're in high school or. Something spend all this time worried about what other people thinking about you. Yeah. The reality is people aren't thinking about you they're thinking about themselves and thinking yeah. about what you're thinking about them.
0: <laughs> yeah it's like so. when you're on the bus and you think oh everyone's looking at me but
1: Nobody really gives a damn. And <laughs> really, really don't. And if they do, they're going to forget in 15 minutes or at the most a couple days. People just don't care. Yeah. And you think of the most embarrassing, stupid things you've done in your life years ago, you can't even remember them. The people who might have been there can't even remember them, and they might even not remember you, period. So in that sense, it's kind of let you off the hook, I don't day. think
0: that would be true for the most embarrassing things that I've done, but I'm not going to – I'm not going to talk about them in this show because they are so unbelievably embarrassing. They're the kind of things that legends are made of.
1: That people will be talking about for decades. Definitely. definitely. Remember that guy? What an idiot. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like your name is used by people who haven't met you about – Oh, you've just done a Vincent. You've just done a Vincent. Holy (laughs) crap. That guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I think – yeah. But anyway – Keep a, uh, you know, keeping the short, small iterations, get reliable data back sooner is better. And, and and it's psychologically just exhausting not to get that endorphin, that feedback to get something out there and just to keep working on something forever. Because you have to keep convincing yourself that it matters, <laughs> right? Yeah. That anyone's going to care about it or anyone's going to use it. And oh. there's a good chance that that's, that's not gonna be the case. And as much as you convince yourself because you're optimistic and 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 committed, there's still that nagging voice back your head, like, you know, no one's gonna care about this. This is a total waste of time. I should change direction.
0: I, I've got something to talk to you about um, that was a big part of my life for a day.
1: A Bal- day? Yeah.
0: Balloon boy. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know why, but I just happened to turn on the TV when that thing started happening. Did that and- turn out to be a publicity stunt? I, I, I don't I, I don't know the full story yet, but I just know that I turned on the TV when it started happening, and the news crew was saying there is a six-year-old boy trapped in this balloon that you are now watching, and it's flying very fast, <laughs> and he's been flying for two hours, and I was transfixed. It reminded me of 9/11, like in the sense of I remember when that 9/11 happened, I you know everyone was just transfixed on the TV, and this yeah. balloon boy thing, it was it was impossible not to be transfixed by it because it's it's the yeah, most
1: outrageous the 6-year-old kid yeah, most outrageous thing hanging on to dear life at this balloon. yeah you know and i think i you know i saw some headlines or something that th- that they were questioning whether it was a hoax and that there's some video of the dad releasing there's, i never looked at it
0: there's Did very strange it? things about the family like for example they they've this family's been on wife swap but not only that they've been called back to go on wife swap so they're already like a, you know um, a celebrity seeking family
1: you know? mm-hmm. um, yeah. but, and I think but, yeah. I think they they have a bunch of stuff on. They have a ton of stuff. like made some music videos and stuff up on YouTube <laughs> yeah. and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean not that that really means anything. Just
0: crazy, but it's just it, I mean, i not so much even just about the, the you know the music the music aspect, but also once again, just like Michael Jackson, you know, Twitter just went nuts about this, right? So it, it, it was just totally
1: as, 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 assuming that assuming if, if they did if this was a stunt. Assuming he did, Assuming the dad doesn't get in trouble from local police or something. Oh yeah, or some, it's the biggest. I mean, it, that's a that was a PR coup. It's it the biggest PR of, coup. Two to, to, to four times. I mean, you took somebody that nobody knew or yeah. very, he was essentially a, a normal person, and now everyone's going to remember this for years.
0: Oh, I mean, Balloon Boy. I mean, it's it's there's a game Balloon Boy <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's just wow.
1: So that's. I don't yeah. know whether
0: it's good or. But I mean, I think it's really bad that obviously all of the authorities were involved, that they had helicopters chasing this empty balloon next to freaking power lines, you know, and the, the helicopters could have, you know, crashed into a power line and people could have died, Wow. you know, and thousands of people chasing this balloon. Like oh, that's obviously crazy, but
1: yeah, I, I missed it. I mean, I, I saw a headline or two during the day, but I didn't, um, I didn't follow it. I mean, I was too busy working. So it's just yeah, some of us are trying to get work done just I... You know.
0: As I said, I just happen to be walking past the TV and turn it on.
1: Do you have a TV in your office where you work?
0: Uh, well, the way my house is set up, like my my office is um, – it's it's like the annex to the kitchen. So it's – and there's like – it's all open doors. There's no actual doors. So I guess it's the dining okay. room. You know, my office is the dining room. And uh, so I, I'm i sort of in the
1: middle of the house in many ways. Mm. So you're kind of okay. I I've noticed that I I've thought about this and once and it's like I wouldn't mind having a TV in my office because sometimes I could get work done if I'm listening if there's just sort of like a background noise like that oh, yeah. like um you know and I think I was here Joel Spolsky talking about this that he gets he 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 gets his the best work done when he's like has old sitcoms that he's already seen on. You because know, people were talking about. I think someone called into the Stack Overflow podcast and asked, you know, uh, whether you know is a good idea or what they thought about uh, working with mu- listening to music while well, listening to music. I, and, I uh, yeah. yeah sorry. And anyway, I and so he. And so Joel said, "Well, he 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 really likes to just. He's got a really crank." You know, turn on some old sitcoms in the background, then he can work. And I was thinking that I'm kind of the same way. I and mean, there have been times. I remember I, I haven't ha- I haven't had a TV in my office, but there was a um, a short period of time that I was working um, in Chicago, and there was in an office um, that I was in. There were TVs. It was a trading it was a trading company. Yeah, that I was a part of, and uh, they, you know, had like an MSNBC on, you know, or, or um, not MSNBC, uh, CNBC on constantly in the background, but. I don't know. After everybody left, I'd be working at night, and I would just be like, you know, all this stupid shows on. I don't know. It kept me focused for some reason, so I could see that. I mean does that
0: – I know I, I have the same thing as you, but what it is with me is it's if if someone's in the house with me. So if I'm totally on my own and then I don't feel any sense of responsibility. Then mm-hmm. it's my, Because, for example, if George is just in the house, I, I have the sense of responsibility that I need to bring in an income. <laughs> for my yeah. marriage <laughs>
1: yeah but if she's yeah. not
0: here then i'm completely on my own and i just do find myself sort of wandering off into different places
1: <laughs> so so just putting a tv uh but, but so with having someone in i mean i've had the same way because i i used to have a second desk in my office yeah. um it was ostensibly sandy's desk but she never used it but whenever i'd have friends who would visit um they would sort of sit there because I used to have a computer there, but then when that died, people didn't have their own laptop with them, and so they would just sit there and work. And we'd be sitting and working in the office together, but I felt like I could just focus more just having yeah. a friend. Up there. Even, if he's, even if I'm listening to music and they're just kind of sitting there checking their email or doing whatever the hell they're doing. Um,
0: no, I de- that definitely there. brings focus for me. That is a very good scenario. I like that. And sometimes that's why I would go to a cafe, just to work, just to have other people ah. around
1: problem with that for me is the chairs i i'm i i can't work in like these like wooden chairs The kind of yeah. things you see in cafes or 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 just sitting back to the laptop on my lap and, a, and like a couch i mean for anything more than like 20 30 minutes i mean um you know when we were we were we were participating in that TechCrunch 50 uh was it about a month ago now um and we were up in san francisco and we we're staying in this condo i mean i spent like two days sitting at a kitchen table chair oh, at, at gonna a kitchen wreck table. your back Oh, it was brutal it was just brutal my back and neck it took me a couple of days i felt like to recover from that and um you know i have a i have a really comfortable uh like office chair for you know because i'm a lounger i don't have very good posture i don't sit straight up or any of that stuff i like lean way back like i'm a low rider maybe
0: we should open a cafe and call it like aeron cafe and just have aaron chairs you
1: see know, Aeron's just... are still way too like um all, they're too all business for me. Through sitting straight up, you know. Like I, leaned... oh, I'm
0: in an aeron right now, and I'm leaning miles back. It's so. It's, I lean
1: back. I'm like leaning on myself. I lean back at like a 45 degree angle. <laughs> you do. <laughs>
0: <I'm> like, <laughs> you can do that like with an aeron. That. They're infinitely, um, infinitely. Uh, what's the word? Uh, adjustable.
1: Yeah, no, I've, I've I've tried them. They still don't give it near enough slack. I like to lean further back than that. I um, we I've had air. I've I've used an aeron before, and huh. I I my last chair broke. And about six months ago, and I had to go, and it, I was—it was the hand, the arms broke, and I was holding onto it for dear life because I loved it, and I kept trying to like fix the arms. We had duct tape all on it. And so when you work, just, are
0: you like, as if you're in a space shuttle?
1: Yeah, I lean back, so I have to have a pretty comfy chair to to do that in. I can't sit at the in a kitchen table. I don't, I don't have that kind of a sitting posture. Um, so, well, what about the desk? I mean, don't, do you do
0: you like? Put the desk on your legs. I mean, how... <laughs> <laughs> kind of slight, slight under. I mean, you know. How do you I'm angle like the, just... desk? Yeah, the desk? Because surely it's going to be flat, right?
1: Yeah, the desk is normal, but it's just like I'm kind of leaned back, right? I'm leaned back at a forty-five degree angle. You know, you can buy uh,
0: computer desks and computer chairs that are an all-in-one unit that are exactly like the space shuttle.
1: Yeah, that's a little too nerdy for me. I oh, don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little much. I've seen those kind of like. Uh, they're like. Workspace pods or something yeah. As, or yeah, no, I just like to lean back because I'm just I'm, I'm lazy I'm a lounger so anyway, um you know one thing I want to talk about, which is kind of interesting is um Shit. which is kind of along the lines of the of what you're talking about with you know not getting work done when George isn't there. And it's called the uh, concept of structured procrastination, and I was reading in our uh, blog post by um I think it was uh, Mark andreessen. And he was talking about product, uh, productivity porn. So his fascination with productivity porn, like different ways to make himself more productive and, you know, write to-do lists and not answering, you know, making to-do lists of various types and not answering the phone and not checking email more than you know, a handful of times a day and different things like that, But one of, which are all things I've heard a million times. Mm-hmm. And But one of the things that I, I hadn't really heard, which really makes a lot of sense, is called structure procrastination, which he had gotten from another guy who'd written about it it's called there's actually a website called structuredprocrastination.com and essentially what it is is that if you make a list if there's essentially some to-do items on your list right and you're procrastinating because you don't want to do them right there's just two or three things or maybe there's just one thing you just don't want to do so what you rather than doing nothing what you end up doing is just do other things that aren't that one thing that are still productive I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you'll start like, you know, <laughs> instead of writing a, a you know, a, a letter or, or an email you don't want to write, or, or doing some financial stuff you don't want to do, you end up just like, you know, putting away some clothes. Or so you do that on purpose. Yeah. So the whole thing is that you get all this
0: other stuff done. That right? is, ex- I can't believe it. That's what I do naturally. That's exactly how I am.
1: Yeah. It's like if you can't, it's almost like. It's almost like if you're driving, and if you hit a red light, you know, if you're going to hit a red light, you take a left, and then and you try and, and then take another. You you don't stop at a light, so you think almost like if there's something you're you're you a mental blocker, like I don't want to do that. It's like a red light, so don't stop and just sit there, and then just you know search the web or make a phone call. Do these other things that are useful to get done. They're just not nearly as high priority.
0: That, that's what I do. I, if I'm if I'm facing a really big problem. I will just go and do the washing up,
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> or do the laundry or something useful because I I really do hate wasting time.
1: Yeah, you don't want to waste time, but yeah, so it's but it's kind of interesting because and he makes a whole argument about psychologically how it works hmm. and and that makes sense to me because if you do these other things that you need to get done because he was talking about the whole reason he was writing a, that that blo- that essay about structured programming was because he actually had a bunch of papers to grade and uh, and. Things the other had, things he had to do as a professor
0: and that's why he was able to do that so why does it work why does it work the psychology of
1: it i don't know i can't remember exactly what the psychology was i mean you get this sort of i don't know i guess you get, a, you get this you get this sort of endorphin release when you get certain things done right when you get, when you just accomplish small things, and because I do
0: find myself getting into the zone. Like I will, you know, sometimes I'll I'll procrastinate and I'll do a bunch of different things, you know, for like an hour, maybe two hours, and hmm. then after I've done them, I'll just be really ready to get into the coding and the and get into the zone and get it done.
1: Yeah, that's so, the same way. Well, I have multiple projects that I'm working on, and there's some that I just having a hard time getting myself to do. Not and and not like for legitimate reasons that I have, a, I have a lot of stuff to do, but it's just like I just don't want to work on them. or It's not the most fun project, like, like it's my four-hour Yeah, it's not the most fun thing, partially. But the other thing is that when you have multiple projects and you don't work on a project for a while... Or even when you come back, say over a long weekend or vacation or something, and you haven't looked at the code, it just takes forever to sort of load it back up in RAM, right? Yeah. To get it, it's not only to get really remember all the aspects of the problem and what you were doing, but um, what your even motivations were for, for why why you think it's cool. Like it's just like I don't, you can't get any traction. I can't, you can't get a foothold. And I think that happens. So it's easy to procrastinate about something that I've worked on for a while because it's just like you you've lost the motivation, like I, not only do I not really know where I was or what I want to work on, I just don't even know why I thought it was cool yeah. <laughs> you know, or what I found interesting about it. Whereas what could happen is once I do get into it and I start getting in the zone and I start working on it and then there's something else I work on. I procrastinate about switching context, working on this other thing because the same things happen with that other thing. Whereas this, the first thing that I, that I used to procrastinate, I'm totally in the zone with. Hmm. And basically what I'm saying is that I have the hardest time switching contexts. So I have a hard time switching more than like twice a day. I've learned recently I've got I can always switch at least twice a day. So or once a day from like one project I'll be working on something for four hours in the morning and switch to something in the afternoon. But like switching gears, like literally working on three or four different projects in a single day, like two hours at a time. Yeah. That's hard for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean you're you obviously you're obviously juggling two or three things too, right? So I mean, how do you feel about it?
0: I don't know. I go through different phases. I switch it up. Like sometimes I do the thing I don't want to do first, and sometimes I do the thing I don't want to do last. What I do find myself doing is on a Friday, um, I will say, okay, I'm not going to do that four hours today. I'll just do it in the weekend sometime. So sometimes, I guess I put it off every Friday, but Mm -hmm. maybe on a Monday and a Tuesday, I'll do it first.
1: (laughs) Right. I don't know. Well, that's pretty good discipline. If you can do the thing you don't want to do first, then. That's good discipline. I mean, you're well you're... because then you because then you get, you, you know, I don't know. I go
0: through different phases. Like sometimes it's better to do what you're passionate about, um, and it's really funny because even with TweetMiner, like this whole subscription thing, like the problem is, is because I, I don't find it fun. That's probably the reason why I haven't done it the last week until the very last minute of Friday, because mm-hmm. I was sort of just putting it off. It wasn't really a fun concept. Yeah.
1: Tweet Miner wasn't a fun concept?
0: Uh, No, the payment, the subscription part oh, of it.
1: Oh, the payment stuff wasn't. Okay. Yeah,
0: the payment stuff, yeah.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, you have to kind of grub around in, in PayPal API land.
1: <laughs> no, that's not fun. I mean, I I hate reading other people's, eight, well, I mean, learning other people's APIs is, is not nearly as painful as, as having to learn other people's code, which I really have a hard time with. Yeah. You know, unless it's like a full, comprehensive, extremely well-documented API, like maybe the .NET framework, where it's like you can just look it up and it's just like exhaustively complete. And otherwise, I'm just like, what the hell is this code doing? You know, and APIs, learning APIs is a little like that. I mean, it's maybe 5% or 10% as difficult as learning someone's code base, because it's just like, here are the 10 or 15 or 20 function or API calls, you know, and here are the parameters. Yeah. And that's usually not nearly as big a deal, but it's still not nearly as fun as just writing your own stuff.
0: Did you read the um, the the post um, on Silicon Alley Insider about ten huge successes built on second ideas? No it's really interesting that like a lot of our you know a lot of the biggest companies out there totally just started as something completely different. Um, I'll run through a few facebook was Facebook started off as hot or not for Harvard. AOL started as a video game on-demand service. Uh, Twitter started as audio podcast delivery.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Tiffany and Co. started as a paper company. As a what? Pa- <laughs> a, a what? Company? A paper company, selling paper. Oh, paper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Google' uh, original vision was to search bulletin boards, um, and Avon started off selling books door to door.
1: Right. It's funny, so, I mean, it's not only starting their own thing, but it's actually their ideas completely tra- changed from what they were starting to do.
0: Yeah, it's like it's about well, the Flickr
1: te- was the same way. Flickr started with game never ending. Yeah, <laughs> and it's people a, were sharing I guess it's,
0: it's about the team rather than the idea or maybe it's just that the team are following, you know, what the customer really wants or something along those lines. but anyway. I think it's a
1: combination. Like they get feedback on this thing they built. Either yeah. people don't care about it or they've seen some aspect of this thing that's really a minor aspect of this bigger thing yeah. that people seem to really care about. And then they go, hey, you know, people aren't really asking us for this, but I can see what it is. There's 5% of our product that if we made that the whole product, people would love. And that's, I think, what, that's, you know, that's what Flickr did when they started out this game never-ending, I think. And, uh, well, that's I've what Jason
0: Cohen to... did with um, Code Collaborator as well.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it was first, it was like um, a, a code review d- data mining thing or something. I think so, yeah. Something weird, and people were using it in a weird way. And he's like, why are people using it this way? <laughs> I think it's like, it's, it's, a lot of times it's not like um, to have your customers don't design it for you, but you, you, you go behind what your customers are saying or your users are saying, and you yeah. really get to understand what it is. I mean, they're saying X, but what are they really, is it that they really want? You know, you have to go to that next level because nobody's going to say, hey, build Facebook. You know, or hey, nobody's saying that, you know, and, you know, it'd be rare that someone just, you know, lays out a product vision for you (laughs) and get satisfaction or something, right, Right. or support email. Here, I see, this is what you really want. People are just (laughs) going to bitch about things. You go, what is the common thread? What are people not happy about? Or what is the common thread of people really excited about? Yeah. Do do you think that
0: local bacon could change like that? Like, just become, go completely sideways? Or do you think it's?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I think a lot of that. Depends on the people running it, the founders. So if the founders are flexible and they're adaptive and they're paying attention to to their users, like they really, they're not just like sort of in a box, I'm building this thing and I'm just I'm kind of going to ignore everybody, but they're really, they're 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 ear to the ground and they're adaptive. And Joe is that way. Hmm. Joe is very much paying attention to what people are saying and how they're reacting to things and he has lots of ideas. And so, which, which, I think is good because you, no matter how good your sort of your business plan hypothesis is about why it's going to work, it just may be wrong or may not be just quite accurate. Oh, you know what's kind of interesting? Um, I was listening to the Stack Overflow podcast yesterday. Yeah, and and uh, the Stack Overflow they're going to start having people um, post their CVs. On the site because if you're a company you're looking for top-notch developers. One of the best ways to find top-notch developers is to go to Stack Overflow and look for people who have really high karma points because they've answered lots of really difficult questions in whatever technologies you might be looking for expert uh, developers in, right? So but, if you want an expert C++ developer and there's some guy who's uh, got fifty thousand points and ask her and he's answered you know you know hundreds and hundreds of questions, but like that's the guy we want, I, right?
0: I wouldn't, no way. Really, why is that? Because they're going to be uh, an internet addict. They're going to be answering stack overflow questions all day when you want them to do work for you.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. It doesn't mean that they're doing it all day long. Well, anyway, the point of this is um, this. The whole point is that they're going to charge um, the posters to post their CV on the site, which is just like Local Bacon. Huh. I'm like, oh, where did they get that idea? Oh, you think they got it from Local Bacon? I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, Local That's... bacon's only been out public a month, and I don't know if that idea just kind of filtered in. It could kind of, think It filtered in sideways. Like, you know, these, these guys are on the web. They're reading what's going on, and maybe that kind of, you know, they might even know they got the idea from it. But then again, they might just come across the idea the same way. But if no one's thought about charging posters before, like it's a completely novel idea, and they coincidentally think of it like, a, you know, a month after Local Bacon's released.
0: Well, it could be 100th Mon- Monkey Syndrome. What do you mean? You know, where the collective the collective subconscious, like once once the critical mass of people start thinking about something, then it becomes into the collect the collective unconsciousness, so more people just start thinking about the same thing.
1: That might be possible. I mean I, I give you that, but in this sense it's like how long have we had job boards around? People paying like Monstercom? Yeah, Twelve years, thirteen forever. years? Yeah, yeah, forever. Right. Well before and... then because even in magazines or whatever. Yeah, right, so, but nobody has ever talked about charging people to post their resume, right? Mm. And for them to, th- and, 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 and there wasn't any broader conversation about it, there wasn't even sort of lateral things like that, people were charging for something like that, and they think of the exact same thing a month after. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's curiously, simple. but that's fine, you know, whatever, they're not competing with local bank or anything like that. Yeah. Um. But the, I, I immediately called Joe, and I was listening, and I paused the pod, uh, podcast, and I said, "Joe, I said, guess who's going to be doing this?" And uh, you know, I said, "Really?" I said, "If anything, if they did steal it, the idea or steal the idea, it just validates they, it. If they validates it, it's like these are very smart guys, yeah. And all, it's demonstrating that these that these two guys who have a very successful, you know, site going with Stack Overflow." um they, they also think this is a good way to get rid of the spam because they were complaining about the same problem you get 500 resumes when you post something and most of them suck <laughs> yeah. you know and i was like yeah this is the exact problem we're solving but you know local bacon is um is going to be uh you know it's it's going to be city by city and it's more entry level jobs like uh, it's not you know senior level top end you know developers making 150000 100 150 200,000 a year kind of thing you know, um, so it's not even the same market, which so is fine. So all it does is is it sort of reinforces that this is a valid idea, and that is also it's okay because the first thing of people, there's always that reaction like, are oh, you gonna charge? You know, me, I have to apply for jobs. So you're gonna charge me? Am I gonna be scammed or something like that? Almost like you know, models. Like, oh, you should be a model. We'll just come and you know, pay five hundred dollars and we'll take your headshots. Yeah. It's kinda, well, it,
0: it yeah. is it it is kind of similar to the whole thing that. Um... Jason Calacanis is talking about, <laughs> you know, in, um, paying to pitch to investors.
1: Yeah, but it, I guess it's really just a matter of, like, um, what the price is, right? So, yeah. you know, a dollar to post for a job, to apply for a job is so minor that it's, you know, like, you know, postage. Whereas someone charging you hundreds of dollars hey, give us $2,000 and we'll find you a job. Yeah. Hey, did they,
0: did they mention the price point on uh, Stack Overflow?
1: I don't think they did. No they didn't say
0: because fog, fog bugs which is made by Spolsky um, you know has pretty substantial price points in my opinion um, you know single single user monthly if you want to join fog fogbuzz and use it as your bug tracker and your sort of time management system it's 25 bucks a month per user
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is quite a lot when you think about it four users that's a hundred you know hundred a month
1: yeah it? but you know if you're selling first of all if you're selling to businesses you're not selling to people Right. So business can look at <laughs> you, <right>? people. <laughs> well, they don't make they don't make decisions the same way people do, you know, because right. if you're a business, you make decisions like what's the cost of doing business? You don't think this isn't personally coming out of my my, you know, pocketbook the same way that yeah. it is. When you're putting on your own personal credit card. You're like, well. You know, do I want to pay this? Like, well, this is just something that we need. So, if you, like, yeah, if you got five or ten or twenty developers or whatever, and you're like, things are kind of out of control, and and the version control system that you're using isn't really as good, and you need something better, and you're like, you're losing thousands of dollars a a month or something in lost productivity. You're like, this is a bargain, you know, because people are we're losing lost productivity. Would that people... apply to small business as well? I think so. I mean, you know, it just depends. I mean, uh, everyone's different. Some people might not might not be worth it. Some it might be worth it if you have two or three, you know, just two developers maybe you're losing a lot of time, you're screwing up code, you're not sharing code the right way. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. It's it's 1000
0: um, bucks to get to put it on your own server for five users. So to get basically the code and put it on your own server, you pay $1000 and you can have five users. Uh-huh. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean,
1: awesome. you know, I don't know. It's everybody's different, right? Some people which is like most things in life, right? I mean, most things some people think is very much worth the money or what else would balk at, you know? <laughs> All you need is enough people who think it's worth, their, worth, worth that amount, amount to them, you that's know? Because, you know, there's plenty of free or low-cost version control systems that you can use if you don't want to use it, and that's always the thing is yeah. go use Bugzilla. It, or it's, the version.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, sorry, bug tracking versus version control, but, um, I mean, this has time imagine, but, yeah, there's definitely lots and lots of free versions. There's something that gives people a sense of security, in paying for something
1: well yeah you get someone's you get someone to answer to it if you need something solved or fixed if you just use some open source software and and, and so it's like you see businesses know that lost time really is lost money if you have teams of people or even individuals who are not productive for 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 hours or days because things are broken i mean that's a huge cost whereas um you know, so if we pay an extra 50 or 100 bucks just to ensure that this isn't going to happen, it's 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 great insurance policy. You know, whereas a whereas us, you or I might say, well, I'm not going to pay for that because if it fixes, I'll just download some open source Python thing and I'll install that and use that. Well, you know, whatever. How many hours of your time did that work? And if you might think, well, you and I might, in one sense, look and I go, well, that's just like, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, it's not – doesn't cost me anything. thing. But in another sense, you could look and say, well, you know, I could actually been consulting, you know, for every hour, so – Businesses very much think in terms of bottom line money, and so those things become valuable.
0: There's also the whole indemni- indemnification thing. Like with um, MySQL, when you you know you can buy the enterprise edition, you can actually pay money to get your bus- you know to get indemnification for your business against using the software. So to give yourself some level of insurance, hmm. which is kind of interesting as well. It's another interesting way to get money
1: <laughs> for selling right. your
0: free product. Right. Right.
1: So I got two more I got I got two more topics I want okay, to get to. We go. Okay, one was interesting was called um, uh, C it was it was you know the guy who wrote you know the book Coders at Work. Have you heard of that? That's been going around. People I've have been heard talking of it. about. it, yeah. yeah, this guy he um he went and interviewed like 12 or 15 of some of the top developers like Donald Knuth and different people like that. These he really some of the really top developers in the world. Yeah. were uh, still living. A lot of them are older, but they, they did, you know, guys who did really big things back 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And uh, he has a blog uh, and uh, he's talking about the book. One of the things he's talking about is is C, one of the blog posts is called C++ Encoders at Work. So he, he went and talked to, like, asked, you know, all of these guys what they thought of C++. Um, and it was really funny because most of them either thought c++ was evil <laughs> too yeah. hard it was too complex it was way too complex for to use uh, we, there's too many features and therefore everyone used a different subset of features it was templates or whatever it was and um so it was really kind of funny thinking about or just hearing all of these top developers saying it was too hard and too complex they didn't like it or they never and a lot of them never really learned it mm. they learned c and they just like yeah i never never saw reason. I don't have enough time to learn C++ I and mean, uh, what I did see I didn't really get. And it's funny because I've been doing um, C, a lot of C++ lately. I have, um, you know, I'm, I'm running this, cons- do this consulting contract for this trading firm and uh, we have to have this really high-speed messaging platform where we have like half a million messages coming in on this one uh, data pipe um, for market messages and we have to s- sort through them and, 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 and uh, dispatch them to these other server servers.
0: That's half a million and, and how much time? Second, so half a million messages coming in per second, which is no small feat.
1: No, oh, that's a lot. So you need C to do that. I mean, .NET or Java or those things—they just choke. They can't. They can't do it. So you have to C And even some of the standard C plus plus, like the C plus plus STL map, couldn't do it. We had to use this thing called like the Google. Some guys. Uh, I think it was called the Google sparse hash or something and they have mm. a dense ha- hash map and a sparse hash map and, and it's on Google code and they it's super optimized and it's way faster than standard STL maps. So we really had to you know do some stuff like that. Um use some things like that to get you the C to be able to handle it. And this was on a fast, you know, fast you know server. And so I've been writing a lot of C you know to get this data f- and then to sort through it and, and then to send it on a socket to a variety of subscribing clients that are like .NET clients that don't have the same kind of pressure on them, so they can be written in .NET. Right. And um, the – so I've been writing on C++, and I tell you, you're right. C++, straight C++ to me isn't hard because that's sort of my first language that I learned as, a, you know, as an adult. You know, and I programmed for, for eight years or whatever was in it, and but I tell you, writing C when you're doing multi-threaded code, is a bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. Anything is. So, what, you are know, you using semaphores? That that.
1: I, well, use critical sections is what I'm is what I use normally to to you know to sort of like lock the data, block the data, whatever you want to call it, and um, so I I've just been. You know, having like these, you know, these strings or these, these, you know, these, these sort of buffers that are coming out of this one um, C API that's that's parsing this data stream, and then I have to like, you know, stick it in these message objects, and then like, you know, flatten those out to a buffer, mem copy that to a, you know, to a string, to a socket buffer, and that stuff has to be asynchronously sent out, all this kind of stuff. And I tell you, you know, because it's funny, because I read that, and I'm just like. You know, one part of me was like, "Oh, C plus plus, this is fun. It's not that hard. I mean, it, you know, it's pretty much because everyone always complained about it." And I haven't used it in a while, so I got back to. It, I'm like, "Yeah, this feels like old trying to bike." But then when I really started doing the hardcore mesh, uh, you know, multi threading, and uh, I was just like, "Yeah, this is a bitch." Huh. <laughs> Yeah. And I can see why all these guys are just like stay away. <laughs> you know, don't use, you know, C plus plus, and, and, and uh, you know. It, I think Joel Spolsky even. It doesn't talk sound about like
0: what you're doing is that the the complexity doesn't come through the C plus plus though. It just comes through the business logic, which sounds very complex.
1: Well, the hardest part is, which is funny, which is what C, the hardest part is the multi-threading because okay, the reason people. I think C++, there's a few things that people have with it. I mean, one, people look at it as like, well, they complain about its object orientation. Like, it's not really object-oriented, like, say, Smalltalk. There's no message passing and things like that. But there's all those kind of complaints. There's multiple inheritance, which is just way too complicated, and operator overloading or, um, you know, those kind of things really make some people think it's just too complicated. I never thought those things were very hard. I think those are pretty easy to sort out. I don't understand why people have a hard problem with those. But what's, what's what other people complain about, which is the same thing you're complaining about, C, which is why people like thing initially like things like Java, and of course since moved on to Python and Ruby or whatever, is the memory management, right? Yeah, so, you have to
0: look after your own pointers and allocate your memory.
1: Them. You knew, you know, and then you have to delete your buffers and stuff like that, and that can be. Uh, that's always a tricky thing to do because, you know, where where was it allocated? And there's sort of these rules of thumb that you want to deallocate the memory at the same sort of level in the hierarchy that you allocated it and things like that. You know, because otherwise you get these memory leaks if you're, if you're not like sort of keeping track of, you know, who's deleting it. You know, who's responsible to delete this memory? Yeah. Because you don't have like reference counters and things like that um, built in necessarily. And so that's tricky. But what I found tricky, the trickiest, which is, in, is the is the combination of 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 your buffers like what's been deleted and what hasn't, who has access to it, and then you have m- multiple threads multi, accessing multi threads, yeah, and things are happening async, yeah, because things are happening asynchronously. So I'm sending stuff, I'm I'm getting stuff off a of pipe. It's in C plus plus. I do some things to it. I, I populate some kind of a buffer, and then I hand it off to this other thread, and it's going to send it on some socket. And it and, you know when it gets done, it's not guaranteed. So
0: does each process use? Um... Essentially shared memory by default, like where you 're addressing it's not it doesn't sort of
1: make well it you know it's, it's they're not processes they're processes they're they're just separate threads, so it is it's all shared memory right? oh I see so so if you're doing processes, then you use i guess mutexes and things like that or semaphores, and you can use cross process i have, i've i've um but what we're using to communicate p- across processes, but we're communicating across machines we're using sockets. Right, right. And uh so you have the whole Windows socket API and that's a whole nother barrier You're using I.O. completion ports and overlapped I/O, and that's a whole other nightmare. But um <laughs> yeah. like fun. But it's two things that are funny as because like, I I've been doing this and I've just kind of like, you know, cursing to myself while I'm as I'm debugging some of this stuff. And I remember Joel Spolsky had said and like I don't know it was like a podcast or two ago. And he goes, yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like, I don't care how smart you are. You were not smart enough to do multithreading in C plus plus. Trust me. <laughs> he's like, I know all you hot shit programmers. Everybody thinks I'm smart. He's like, you are not smart enough to do it. Don't try and do it. Use, you know, higher so, level. So, are you smart enough? Why are you well, doing I'm it? Well, I'm just, I'm doing it because I have to. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I get to work. I know what he's saying, which is like, you know, this is not something you should be trying to do if you don't absolutely absolutely have to do it because it's very time-consuming and it's very error-prone, and it's just – things can blow up in, in weird ways. And, um, and the other thing, I guess the guy in coders at work, he was on the podcast with uh, with uh, this Stock Ruffle podcast, and he goes um, – and they ask him about – I guess they're talking about debugging, like coding is hard, debugging is hard, you know, because you've had all these famous, like, people like Feynman talk about how, like, program computers is extremely difficult, you know, because of all the debugging and things. And uh, this and one of those guys in the interview is like, oh, debugging is easy. You know, there's nothing hard about debugging. He's like, oh, less of course, you're talking about multi-threading, and that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was funny, because I was listening to that podcast right when I was writing this code, and I'm just like, yeah, no, yeah. shit. <laughs> like, this is a pain. Um, so, and that's one of the reasons that we, you know, we when we're building this project, we're trying to do everything. I'm trying to put everything in the C++ as minimal as possible, and get it out on a socket to these other processors, other machines that are that I that I build using uh, C# and .NET because that's just like ten times easier. You know, I oh. want to do all as much business logic as I can in those languages. Yeah. You know, because then I don't have to worry, you know, because you. It's so error prone with the with the multi threading and the and the memory management and stuff that just keep the code base as small as possible. So there's just less opportunity for screw ups. So I just thought that was. Funny Why didn't you C- use Erlang? Well, okay. First of all, the um, the API for this um, getting the data. So there's a data provider, right? There's a there's a data feed provider that that we get this these half million messages in. It's every market message. I mean every quote and trade that happens for every stock future and option in the, in the in the United States in real time okay and that is a C API that they have that's extremely optimized and uh, do
0: they send up- through one message for uh, for one socket connection per message or do they send them through in packets of half a million
1: who knows what they're doing i mean they're they're doing all kinds of compression and optimization and you know, whatever. So they, you, they, they've, they've a... been working their magic for years to make this thing work. But it's all C. It's all Win32 C API. So it's like, well, so they you know, give you the
0: client side as well as the server side, then.
1: Yeah, they just give you like a, 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 you know, like a DLL, C DLL, and they have a really, a really simple, um, minimal, I should say, uh, inner API. Like this is how you get the messages out. You know, and you just go into kind of a loop and a callback function, and then it's all C. So what am I going to use? Now we tried um, doing, you know, like a. Um, calling it from .net but the but the bridge between c and um, or in uh, our unmanaged and managed code is is too slow
0: i bet you handle. they send it in chunks because if you cuz to to have that many con, you know you know to have one connection per message seems a bit crazy
1: one connection per message
0: yeah when when they're sending it from their server to to your machine even even if it's uh-huh. going through their dll right for every one of the messages that they send like i think they're bundling those messages up in large chunks well, it. yeah.
1: Okay. You know, first of all, yeah. So it's all TCP. Uh, it's a it's a persistent TCP connection, right? It's not. It's not. You know, so it's extreme. And so, uh, I know that TCPA. They use something called a lot of these socket libraries use something called the Nagel algorithm, coalescing algorithm. So it sort of can optimize the sending. Of information, so you know I might call and say I might do a loop and say send a bunch of messages, but it's not like it's, it does one sends a message and waits for like some kind of acknowledgement back or something from the client. It sends a whole bunch of stuff and does its own its own magic. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it does its own coalescing automatically. Hmm. But that's how TCP works, and I think there's different things you can do with it. But yeah, anyway, the it yeah it's it, so that that's why I we architected it the way we did it is sort of segmenting the c++ sounds wonderfully like, sounds wonderfully complicated yeah Well, it's kind of interesting in the sense that it's just it's like a difference And I spend part of my day doing you know javascript and ajax and php and you know whatever so it's just like you know Mornings are dot or C sharp and C plus plus.
0: So you are. said you had two things you wanted to talk about. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the
1: other the well, thing, thing I was about the other thing I was going to say Erlang is that I just I don't know Erlang and I don't even oh, know right. how the difference between C and Erlang would be and okay. I don't know if Erlang would could handle even though Erlang could do things multi threaded it may not be able to uh, stand the throughput um, on, on a single process from like this. I I just don't know. I mean I don't know enough about it. But um, the other one was. Um, Actually I had two more, but I'll go through these quickly if you want. One is supercomputer. It's called that. I supercomputer porn, letting your competitors do your market research for you. And it is, sure. it was guy um, Steve Blank. He wrote, I think the it's like the Four Epiphanies or something, um, four or something. I don't know. Um, he's he's he uh, he's talking about how he's hired as the VP of marketing for the supercomputer company called. I think it was called Ardent or something back in the um in the '70s or '80s, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, how the CEO was like, go find out who our customers are. Don't come back until you know who our who our markets and our customers are, because they didn't really have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and so what he essentially did is he went to this supercomputer conference and Cray, which was the market leader, had a booth there. And they, they don't have their computer there because the supercomputer is too big to have at the booth. But they had all these this like kind of magazine, like it's like a Cray, it was like the Cray computer sort of like brochure slash magazine. And they came out with like a magazine every month for the past seven years and basically do this you know they do this in-depth analysis like this is our customers this is the oil and gas exploration or this is the defense or this is the chemical industry and this is how they use our you know these are the awesome ways they use craze and this is, is these are case studies and all this kind of stuff and he was just like holy crap He's like they're just telling me exactly who we should be focusing on. They're giving us so he went pack ordered every single magazine and went through it and built all this huge spreadsheet on who their customers were and each of the markets, who the what the markets were, how they were addressed, how they used it, and then they started going and talking to customers. So in a sense, what he's saying is let the market leader do your market research for you. Hmm. Right. So if you want, if you're getting into a fee, unless you're going to try and reinvent a whole new product in which case you're gonna hold another problem which is that you don't know if people are ever going to care about it because there's no mm. proof that anyone would buy something like that but that's always possible but the other thing is if you're gonna go and there are existing you know um, there are, you know companies in that in that market really take a close look at who, who they're selling to and how much they're charging and why hmm. no, and that's I thought that's, I thought that's really a good lesson because you know you the, the, they they've already figured it out
0: yeah they <laughs> figured know? it out they've done the research
1: they've done their research and i think i mean I, most people probably it's pretty should be pretty obvious you know it's like well you know i want to build something to compete with these guys but it's going to do this 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 and this different or it's more efficient or it's less expensive or it's better or whatever but regardless you go and look at everything that they're doing business-wise who they're selling to how much they're charging what kind of you know there's a subscription or is it uh, they sell it and what works and then you can use that as your basis and maybe can change some things but Make sure you understand what their model is, because they were figured it out, you know. That makes a lot of sense. And the other one I was going to bring up was a farewell, a farewell to ORMs, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> which, which is you know, an ORM is like an object relational mapper. Oh yeah. And uh, this guy was complaining about how he had used some ORMs, like a, I don't know, was a Hibernate or. You know, or whatever it was, and he's just like the. He in the end, he always had to get down and, you know, because ORM's will generate, you know, will handle all your sequel for you theoretically. So, yeah, but it doesn't work in practice. Yeah, but you a lot of times you have to get down under the hood and and mm-hmm. and, and write your own sequel because it doesn't do X Y and Z. Now, I'd heard. Now, I I I don't use Ruby and Rails, so I don't know. That's the same know, but, thing with just Ruby in general.
0: Um, you know, like in in theory, you know they like they'll show they'll show you a video and show you how you can make a blog in 20 minutes you know or in 10 minutes or whatever but of course it's not really a full blog i mean you've got to do a lot more work under the hood to really make it work properly
1: yeah i mean the um and i i, I think with one thing ruby does so there's two ways that orms can work i right? i think two two fundamental ways one is at least along this axis which is either code generation or metaprogramming so Meta programming means that the their their code will kind of generate this the code will will do code generation but on the fly when it's running at runtime effectively, right? Yeah. Whereas as code generation, you say, well, here's my database schema or whatever, or here's some object model, press a button or do a command and it just like goes and it analyzes it and does reflection or whatever it does and generates a bunch of the code and then saves it as files and then you can use those you know and then if you need to change stuff you regenerate it now the argument for metaprogramming is like well who wants to like have to regenerate that code co- every single time that you're making changes to your your real specific business logic right with metaprogramming you can just kind of like it will handle it on the fly no matter what you change you don't have to worry about you know this sort of workflow process of regenerating code but the weakness of mode of programming, in my perspective, is that you don't really get to look at the generated code so much. It's much harder to get inside there because it's generated on the fly, mm. right? Whereas if you do code generation and it generates into files, then you can go and look at those and say, "Oh, okay, I see what it generated, right? That's either not right or I want to do something different." But I, I, I kind of the the one of the complaints in terms of the 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 active record model with Ruby on Rails is that it does a lot of the stuff, this the basic stuff that you would want done great, right? You can create a basic object models and yeah. maybe a little more than basic, but if you want if you want to do something that it's not doing right, let's just put it that way, you've got to be a real, you know, Ruby ninja, a <laughs> Ruby expert to get in there and go and know how to, like, you know, change things. Now, I don't know this 1st experience. I just heard these. I
0: just think, I mean, for me, that's the reason why, you know, I've written... Well, many frameworks so that now if I do use someone else's framework I have a pretty fair idea of where stuff's going to be going on because at the end of the day most frameworks are built around the same pattern, you know, the MVC pattern, so you just have an idea of where they're going to do stuff in the framework and unless you've gone through the process of actually building your own framework and doing it a few times and understanding the mistakes and why you should put certain things in certain places it's very hard to know where to look, you know.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Well I've been so I this one project that I'm working on this this is like a little startup project I'm working on with a friend of mine, uh, Guyon, who um, lives in um he lives in Norway. He he worked with me on uh, Prizo, and we've been working on this thing kind of you know just a few hours a week kind of thing for the past six months. And the a big part of it is going to be generating you know creating these object is the is the object relational management stuff. And so I oh, yeah. looked at like. It's seven or eight different uh, ORMs, and uh, you know Propel and Easy PDO and Doctrine and all this kind of stuff. And some are really, you know, they, a lot of them seem pretty good, but they're really highly integrated with other frameworks or dependent on other stuff, but a lot of them were, digit, or they were too simplistic. A lot of them were just too simplistic. They wouldn't be able to do the things that I needed to do. Yeah. Um, and some were just, they just, they were humongous. They were like the Zen framework because they, they were going to try and be everything to everybody, right? You could work with 10 different databases, you know? Yeah. It, you know, it could, uh, you know, it could take in YAML or, you know, or whatever, all these different types of ways of defining what your object relation, your models are, and it could, you know, so it's just like, you know, 90% of it, you don't even need. Right, and the problem yeah. is though is if you're building something that's going to be based on this, that this is a really core piece of what you're doing it's not just something that it's going to generate some models for you, then the the danger is that it gets to you, and it gets you ninety percent of the way there or ninety five percent of the way there, and that last five percent you're like, I, we needed to do these other things, and I just don't even know what the hell how to make it do it it's just it's just yeah. too voodoo and I've heard a lot of people complain about hibernate in the same way, which is the java sort of uh, object relational management and they use the i think the data mapper versus which is a different path slightly different pattern than the active record pattern which is what rails uses and a lot of these use but um in the end but the problem is is that with that is that it'll get you 90 percent of the way there it'll reach 100 percent of the way there for 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 most projects but if you have something like this is such a key piece of what we're doing and we're going to do some really tricky stuff that if it doesn't get you all the way there it's going to take you so long to, to to trick it out. And I think
0: it, it's it, perception, it. though. I think I think a, a large level of it's perception because when you're working with something like that, you get 90% and then you realize you have to really understand it and go under the hood for the last 10%. The, the, as you said yourself, that is such a painful process of, of getting to understand someone else's code that it, it sort of ov- overwhelms your brain. It like spins around in your mind. But actually, you may find out that if you really did it, you really stuck at it, you'd probably sort it out in a week. Or maybe two weeks yeah you know it's, funny, just, it's we, such a big deal in your head you don't even want to go there so it seems quicker to go away and rebuild it from scratch
1: <laughs> well you know uh, you know unsurprisingly that's what i decided to do because I, I was working with the, this one that i thought would be the most straightforward and i just couldn't get it to work do some of the things it was supposed to it's supposed to do and i just was like you know what screw it you know it's like this it isn't that hard to write and you know an, an, an object relational mapper right it's not that hard and you don't have to build the whole thing in one go right because our stuff doesn't even support the more advanced things right so we can just get to the basic stuff and i and i wrote it in you know handful hours or whatever basic version i'm like great it works generates the database schema it generates the the active record objects you can you know you know find delete insert update blah 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 no problem done
0: is it dealing with uh you know various safety issues and um, like SQL injection and that kind of thing.
1: No, not yet. But like I said, it doesn't have to do that yet, right? So we just <laughs> yeah. go piece. So it's like first step right now is just get the damn thing to work so that we can get the rest. Of, so we start building the rest of the product, and then we can come back and say, okay, now let's add a little some you know protect against SQL injection. Okay, now let's do this complex type of a join. We yeah. have this complex multi-table join and that we're going to have to create based on these tables and based on the structure of their relationships and da-da-da and constraints and sort those things out. But, you know, you can go one step at a time. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of people on this side of the fence who are always like, you know, um, they're very much against the build when you can buy. But I'm like, I'm kind of in the sense that, yeah, I don't want to build, I'm not going to build MySQL, right? I'm not yeah. going to build BHB. I'm not going to build a lot of these things that if there's a library that does it and works and is understandable, then great. But... It's like when Joel Spolsky had talked about like a, a, a building uh, Microsoft Excel, Excel, they created their own C compiler. They said they, find the dependencies and eliminate them, because they wanted complete control of everything. And that's why the, the Excel product was so damn fast and so good, because they didn't have these dependencies on all these other products, Right. right? Yeah. It took control because it was a core piece. <laughs> and you know, you can always take that too, too far. Right, we try and build everything, which in which case you get nothing built because you spend all this time building stuff. But I just had to make sort of like an extreme decision. I had read through an, an experiment with like six or seven of these arms, and I just said, finally, like, you know what? And I got so frustrated working with them. I was like, screw it. <laughs> I'm going to build it. Well, let's see how it plays out for you. Yeah, well, you know, we'll probably, you know, have something live in, I don't know, three months or something. And <laughs> we can talk about it, see how it works. So but, that's um, your own
0: little side project like Tweetminer.
1: That's my side project. Yeah, we'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk more about it once we get something closer to beta or whatever. But cool. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I think it will be pretty slick. Well, I guess we should probably. Uh, we've been well over an hour, so we should probably wrap this thing up. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's it. That's a wrap. We're out.